And now, Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, we pray that you would open it up to us, lead us into it, help us submit to it, help us live it, help us use it. May it transform us. May you use these words that are going to be shared now to encourage us and spur us on. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, after the disaster, he got called into the boss. The boss says, what just happened? What? I, what? I don't, I don't even know how to say it. And, and as he stutters and as he thinks, how do I explain all that's happened? He starts with, well, they, they threw their gold at me. You know, they, they took off the earrings and the nose rings and they just threw it all at me. And I threw it in the fire and, and would you believe that a calf just jumped out? Just jumped out. I, I don't know what's going on. But, but I do know this. You were gone for a while. And, and, and let's face it, you know, we, we had just got out of captivity, out of slavery, hundreds of years and waiting for this moment. We want to celebrate. We want to party. Do you know how our slave masters celebrate when they get together? They have a great time. There's feasting, there's eating and drinking, and there's, there's fun. I'll call it play. But I think we both know maybe it's a little bit more than that. Maybe things got a little bit out of hand. Maybe there were some activities that were not sanctioned, but but everybody was having a good time. Nobody signed up to go to the mountain and 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 hear it quake and 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 be terrified all the time. We want to celebrate. So yes, I asked for their gold, but but really, you know, I I was thinking maybe just maybe. Uh, they would want to give up their gold. You know, maybe their, that, that greed factor would kick in and they wouldn't do it. But I was amazed at how quick they pulled everything off and they just gave it to me. And I fashioned it. I fashioned the calf. But it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be like Elohim. I said, this is the God that led you out of Egypt. It's the Elohim. I guess maybe some people thought they were other gods and some people thought it was Yahweh. But, but whatever it was, I had good intentions. So yes, I failed. What? Really? And, and, and I broke the three, first three commandments? Can you tell me what those are again? Would you turn to Exodus 32? Turn to Exodus chapter 32. Most of you know the story of the golden calf. Israel being led out of Egypt to a place where they can worship. They're standing at the foot of the mountain and there's, there's, you know, thunder and, uh, shaking of the ground and there's fear of the Lord and Moses goes up and receives the Ten Commandments and shares them with the people. And, uh, I never noticed until I was looking at it this time, but, but it seems to me that, that in, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments are given, you know, and it's like you shouldn't have any other gods before, you know, the Lord, and, and you shouldn't have any graven images, and don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And and, and Israel breaks all three of those first commands. I mean, they just break them. And I didn't realize it, but it looks as if Moses comes down the mountain to talk to the people about the commandments. 
and then he goes back up to talk to God some more. That, that's the way it reads, at least. I'm not, I'm not certain, but it reads that way. And so it sounds as if Aaron, the high priest, knew this is, this is a bad deal. You know, like, you don't worship God this way. And yet they did. They tried to worship God in an unauthorized way. They made an image. And, and when the word Elohim comes up, you know, these are the Elohim, O, o Israel, that led you out of Egypt. That's the word for God or gods. It's hard to say. Did he mean singular? Or did he mean plural? You know, was Aaron saying, Israel, this is the God that led you out of Egypt. I just made him into a calf. Or, or was he trying to create a whole new set of gods, you know, starting with this calf? You know, there's, there's some stuff we don't know about it. But at least I can say, first three commandments, broken. And this is the response of God to the breaking of the commandments. If you look at Exodus 32, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, that I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with your great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring the disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them. You will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. What is going on here? Every year, we do a week of prayer for the church. I hope that every week we're prayerful, though, just to say it that way, but, but a week where we can really emphasize prayer and start off this year asking God to act in 2018, act in a merciful way, in a powerful way, in a gracious way. And that uh, kicks off this week. I'll talk more about that at the end, but I want to, I want to share a few things that hopefully might move us to to be people of prayer, to pray better, to pray more intelligently. And I want to look at Moses as an example of that. And so when I come to this passage, I think it's a difficult one in some ways. Because I have a God that is that is angry with his people, and he's going to wipe them out. He says, I'm going to wipe all of them out, and I'm starting over with you, Moses. Square one. I mean, it kind of sounds like the flood, doesn't it? You know, I'm going to wipe everybody out. And we're going to start over with Moses, or Noah and his family. You know, that, that's going to be the new people here, right? And so now you've got Moses, the, the faithful one, and all the other people that are corrupt. And it's a similar kind of feeling. Moses prays and asks God to relent. Ask God to show mercy. It's an incredible prayer. And we see that God does show mercy. He does relent. And that leaves us with these with these issues like what is going on in this text? God's going to wipe the people out. Merciful Moses comes in. God changes his mind. Really? Is that what happened? 
Is that what happened? So what I want to do is I want to share three things this passage is not saying and then hopefully get at what the passage is saying. You know, one concluding this is what's going on here. So what is this passage not saying? First of all, I'd say it's not saying that idolatry doesn't deserve wrath. You know, we're not saying that if you worship an idol, it should be something God winks at and doesn't care about. It's a serious thing. And in fact, later, Moses confronts the people and he says, if you're on the Lord's side, come over here. If you're not, you stay over there. And the people split. And the people that don't come to the Lord's side get killed. So, so there is there, there is a, a consequence for the action, but people can make a choice. Do I want to be on God's side or not? Do I want to join that side? Or, or I want to be on this side? But it's not that idolatry is not deserving of wrath. I think of Romans 1, uh, 32, where, where, where in Romans 1, you've got this long list of sins. Like all, all these different sins are in there. And then uh, Paul says, those that do them, they do deserve to die. These, breaking these commands does deserve death. So, so even though I am thankful that we don't give the death penalty for being a rebellious child, like there's an Old Testament, there's, there's a law passage that says that, right? Or being a drunkard, or being immoral, or being... You know, I am really glad we don't do that. I don't, I don't think we need to do that. But I can't ignore the fact that it's in there and that I break commands that deserve death. Like, like that's the reality. I can find commands and I can say, look, this is it. God takes this super seriously. And now we're under grace now. There's a new covenant in Christ. You know, that's when we celebrate communion. This new covenant. This covenant of grace. But, but the old covenant's different. It's a little different, isn't it? It's not that idolatry is not deserving of wrath. It is deserving of wrath. I deserve wrath. You deserve wrath. That's the way it is. So we're not saying that. Secondly, we're not saying that God is fickle. There's a word you young kids don't use quite very much. Fickle. You know, that, that fickle for you kids, it's kind of like, you know, when your parents say one thing and they do another, you know, and you might say, well, they're not acting, they're not acting the right way. Have you ever done something and you, and you thought to yourself, where did that come from? Like, why did I say that? Or why did I do that? Have you ever looked up to somebody and then they did something that was totally out of character for them? Like we use that phrase, out of character. Like, I know you to be this person and then you acted in that way. How does that work? You know? We might say that's fickle, you know, it, 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 it's not acting in accordance with your character. But here's the reality. God's not fickle. You know, he, he always acts in accordance with his character. So we're not saying that God was literally going to wipe out his people until Moses said something and then God said, okay, fine, I guess I'll be merciful today, you know. I was getting all heated up, you know, and I was getting ready to go. But, but as the lightning bolt was in my hand, somebody prayed and so I, I, I released it, you know. It's not like that. He's not like the Roman gods and the Greek gods that you read about, you know, in the storybook, who change your mind and do really weird things. And you're like, what's going on? That's not God. He's consistent. Uh, consider a couple places that tell us that. Psalm 33:11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Consider Malachi 3:6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you or children of Jacob are not consumed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The big theological word for that is immutability. Immutability. It means God doesn't change. 
He always acts in accordance with his character. You can trust him. And so people may be predictable, uh, unpredictable, excuse me. Life may be unpredictable. You might not know God's plans for your life this year. There might be a lot of unpredictable things going on around you, but God is not in himself unpredictable. Everything else might be. Everything else might be shaky ground. God is not. He always acts completely consistent with his character. That's who he is. So that's not going on here. You know, the rest of the scripture tells us God is not this person that says, oh, well, I thought better of it. That's not happening, even though it may look like it's happening. Thirdly, the last thing I'd say is not going on here. It's not that Moses is more merciful than God. You know, I'm so mad at my people. They committed idolatry and I'm going to. And Moses is like, please don't do it. You know, forgive them. Give them a second chance. Isn't, you know, isn't that the guy that you are, a second chance? Oh, yes, I guess it is. Okay, fine. You know, that, that's not happening here. God is not merciful because he needed a reminder. You know, Mom, please, go easy on me. You said, you know, it, it, it's not that. It's not that. It's not that begging stuff that way. It's, it's something else. And I think this is a hard one for us sometimes because when we think about the reality of judgment, the reality of hell, we think to ourselves, how could God do that? How could God send people there? If God is merciful, if He's loving, you've heard this. The problem with that argument is, I think what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up to be more merciful than God. If it was me, I would do it different. I would be more merciful, would you? If you were the judge of the whole earth, would you be more merciful? Maybe you'd let everybody off the hook, but then you'd be a bad judge. You'd be an unrighteous judge. And God is a righteous judge. And so I can't, I can't divvy up God's characteristics and say, well, there's mercy and there's justice and, and, and those two things don't interact or touch at all. They do interact. Because I read Romans, and when I read Romans, I see that when God takes justice on other people, it highlights his mercy to us, the church. Like, that's what I read. That the justice and mercy interact together in that way. Let me say it like this. The Bible tells me God is love. I don't have a passage, though, that says God is wrath. Right? Praise God I don't have a passage that says God is wrath. Is he just and will he take wrath? Yes, he will. On those that don't believe him, not receive forgiveness from Christ, yes, he will. But if he is love, but he's not, he is not actually wrath, then I would say I would put his love up here and I'd put his wrath somewhere down here. Does that make sense? Hopefully. I'd put his love up here because he is love. He's the epitome of love. But he is in himself not wrath. He's a just God. And he does take wrath. So i got to make sure I keep those things clear. And I don't want to ever set myself up and think of myself as more merciful than God. I'm not the judge of the earth. I will never be in a position like that, like, like God will be. He is the judge. I think of David sometimes. Uh, King David, ruler of Israel. You know David. A lot of you know, you read about David. 
And there's that really interesting passage at the end of Second Samuel where David takes the census of his people, trying to see this is how strong I am. You know, this is, this is my military might. You know, this, this is us as a people. And God gets really angry because he's trusting in himself and not in the Lord. And, and God kind of says, you know, choose your punishment. You know, what do you want to happen to you? You're going to have a consequence for this. Choose it. Parents have been doing that ever since, haven't they? You know, choose what you want. You know, do you want do you want the grounding or do you want the spanking or you know what I mean? <laughs> We've been doing this forever. Um, but David had a choice, and one of the choices was you can be pursued by your enemies for this amount of time, or you can fall into the hands of God and He's going to send a plague. He's going to he, he He's going to judge you. And 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 I. I think a gut reaction when I read that is, choose the people because God is fierce, right? You know, and God's going to... But David said something very interesting when he's left with that that choice. What do you choose for your people to be punished with? And David says, this is 2 Samuel 24, 14, I am in great distress. No kidding. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. And so, I read Scripture, and I know God is a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. This is who He is. In fact, later when God declares Himself to Moses, this is what God says. Let me find it. Um, Exodus 34, 6. When God declares His name to Moses, He says this, and I quote, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children of the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. God is a merciful God. He declares himself to be that. He's also a just God. And I think it's very simplistic for us to suggest that we are somehow more merciful than God is. It's much more complicated than that when you are the judge, the righteous judge of the earth, and you're a holy God. We don't even get the concept of holiness the way that we should. Yet He is holy, holy, holy. So let's not walk down that path and feel that pride and that simplistic notion is not actually probably true at all. So what is going on here? How do we understand this? How do we figure this out? Moses prays to God that God would relent and have mercy on his people. So let's say it like this. That God has chosen to act mercifully through the prayers of His people. God has chosen to show mercy through your prayer life. Through what you say to Him. When Moses talks to God, he highlights a few things. He says, um, and this is, uh, where are we at? 32. Um, and as he's talking in verse 11, Moses sought favor with the Lord. Why should your anger burn against your people? Verse 11, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. So Moses, first of all, says, just think about what you've already done to bring these people out. 
You've acted with power and mercy and grace. You brought your people out of Egypt. Why would you do the opposite of that now when you brought us this far? It's like, think about your redemptive works. And then he says, why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Well, secondly, it seems like he's saying, um, God, think about your reputation, your name, the glory of your name. Do you want the Egyptians to say that you're an evil God that brought the people out and just wiped them out? Do you want your glorious name to be slandered in that way? God loves His glory. He loves proclaiming His glory. Moses knows exactly what he's saying. And then, turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring this disaster on your people. Then he says, 13, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them. It will be their inheritance forever. And you can feel this like we're going to the promised land. Like we're on the way. I mean, yeah, there's a 40-year delay coming, yes. But we're on the way. You promised. You're doing what you promised. Please keep your promise. And when I read this, I almost feel like Maybe this is just a test for Moses. Moses, you you are the leader of this people. I mean, truly, Yahweh is, God is, but you're like the, the human being leader of this people. Are you going to intercede for them? Are you going to pray on their behalf? Are you going to beg the Lord for their lives? And Moses passed the test. That's what I think is going on here. Now, for us, what that means is, we have to intercede on behalf of the people we know that are lost. I think about um, a number of years ago, I had some friends in Watoma, and they they had purchased a house, a large house in town, and they wanted to convert the house to be like a place for people to go, uh, for women who were escaping a bad situation, um, a place of refuge. Uh, they wanted to hire a counselor that could actually live in the house, you know, and help. I mean, so they, they had all of these huge plans. They had to take the plans to the town council, you know, because it was kind of like, you know, what are they going to decide? Because cause basically you're saying this house is going to be a refuge. What if someone finds out about it and tries to go there? And, you know, th- th- there's all these complicating factors, right? Is it going to be a safe place? Will it be a secret place? Will it, who's going to be there? How's that going to be a secret, you know, from the people that maybe are angry and, all of this. And I remember them uh, asking if I would just go to the town meeting where this was going to be discussed and decided. And if I would say something on their behalf. Just just say something. I remember going and I felt totally like unworthy to do it. What well, wasn't my idea, but but I just I just said something. I don't remember what I said. And I felt stupid saying it, standing up in the, in the town meeting and saying it. But, but I said whatever I said. And other people spoke up from the church and said what they said. And there were a lot of excellent voices. There were some, there were some voices that said, we don't want this in our town. We don't want to expose our neighborhoods to this. But the town council decided they would let it happen. They, they, They affirmed it. They got the approval for it. And praise God for that. And what I'm saying is, when you go before the Lord, you are asking on behalf of people that are in need and you're the one that has to be the one to go and maybe you feel like you got the words or don't got the words maybe whatever you feel 
you're the one that has to do that. You're the one that has to show up at the meeting, and the meeting for us can be anywhere, in your car, at home, again, anywhere, and beg God on behalf of other people. That's what we do. And it's not that I didn't have the merciful plan to bring people into this house and set them up and get them help and, and have refuge from an angry spouse or an angry partner. Um, I didn't have that plan. That's not my merciful plan. I just had to talk to the powers that be. Right? And that's what you gotta do. You, you're, you're not probably, you're not gonna be the one to save this person's soul, but you talk to the powers that be, the Lord God Almighty, and then He acts. Right? Isn't that how it works? And yeah, you gotta share the gospel too. You gotta, you gotta speak that. I understand that part. But, but you go to the person with the power. And you speak up. God has chosen to act mercifully through the prayers of His people. It somehow delights God to hear you talking to Him about somebody that He wants to save. And then He'll, and then if He says yes or no, but He'll say, you know, if He says I'll do it, it pleases Him that it was through you talking. But that's the God that we serve. That's what He does. And so you can say, well, that kind of blows my mind. Because what if I don't pray? What happens then? You know, and, and we get into this election free will, you know, and what if I pray and it doesn't happen? And, and what, how long am I supposed to pray? You know, you just keep praying. You just keep going. And don't stop. Um, last week I shared um, that I was at districts and I did a seminar on uh, gender dysphoria, uh, people that experience transgender feelings in, in their body and, and they feel distress over that. And I had uh, another person came up to me afterwards, uh, a young girl, a uh, high school girl, and she uh, she announced to me um, how she identifies. And uh, she used a term that I don't usually use very much myself, probably ever, but she announced what she identifies as. And then she said, I think your seminar was not very well researched. And I said, oh, really? You know, well, why do you say that? And, and then she said, well, well, um, you seem very biased for your first view and very biased against the last view. The last view I gave was about our culture and, and how our culture celebrates, you know, transgenderism and, and transitioning and all this. And I said, yeah, I, I guess I am biased because I, I think the scripture has given us a word about this. And, and, and so we're talking about this as well, because actually the Bible's been reinterpreted so many times we can't trust what it says. Really, you know? And so we're, we're losing a foundation here. And so, I know she's read this somewhere. And I said to her at that moment, I said, you sound like you've read a lot about this topic. And she said, you wouldn't believe how much I've read about it. You know? Well, I can tell. You know, Google's been your enemy, friend, enemy, enemy in this whole thing. You know, I didn't say that. But, but I could tell that she had looked up a lot of different information. And she knew how to undercut the scripture. And, and, and she knew what, what label to put on herself. She knew exactly where it was at. And then she said to me, and you know what? If the label I've chosen for myself doesn't fit anymore, I'll just choose a new one, you know? So interesting. Because the challenge for her is, you know, will you accept the identity that Christ has given you? But all that to say, it all comes down to this. That's a one-time conversation. I, I, if I don't see her in heaven, I will never see her probably again. So I pray, right? So you pray. So you have some random conversation with somebody in the store and it was a really rude person. So you pray. You pray for their soul, right? You pray for them. And you beg God to interact with them and to save them. So here's the last three things I'd say to you. 
and then we're going to call it uh, we're going to call it quits on the message, and we'll we'll move into communion. Um, the last three things I'd say is um, let us pray the merciful words of God. You know, there's there's a lot of good scriptures on God's merciful words. I'm going to give you one by the end of this sermon, and we can pray that over people. Isn't that what Moses did? It's like God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you promised. You promised. And he didn't say it in a rude way, like, God, God, listen, you know? It's like, God, you said, would you do what you've said in the life of this person? You can pray that. God, you say you're rich in mercy. Will you bestow the riches of your mercy on this person? Save them. Let's pray the merciful words of God. Secondly, Let's plead to the Lord for the lives of our loved ones and our enemies. Let's beg God to save people. Because it's exactly what He wants to do. And He wants to use your prayers to get the job done. And you've got to be asked. Number three, let us be confident the Lord hears and answers the prayers that we pray. And so I bring up Hebrews in response to that. We put the Hebrews passage up. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 let us then approach the throne of God's grace with confidence that may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's there for us. It's there for others. Let's approach the throne of grace knowing God's going to pour out grace and mercy on us and on other people. So here is my, we keep that verse up for a second. Here's my prayer challenge for you. Uh, that is Hebrews 4. Now, I am not about gimmicks, but I am about reminding you to do the things we're all supposed to be doing. Some of you don't have a habit of going to God in prayer, so here's my week of prayer prayer challenge for you. Uh, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it, but I think it's going to be good. Now, to do this, I need you all to pull out the phones you brought with you. Pull out your phones. Bring them out. Bring them out. Oh, Chrissy left hers at home. Good job. Good job. Now we can put the prayer challenge slide up. Will you set your alarm to 4.16 p.m. every day this week? And when it goes off, would you pray Hebrews 4.16 for somebody in your life that needs God's grace and mercy? Would you do that each day this week? That's my challenge. Now I am not about embarrassing people. If I was in if I was in youth ministry still next week, I'd have you all like stand up for people that did it. You know, I, I don't like embarrassing people. I don't like making people feel prideful. So I probably wouldn't do that with our church. But but would you do that? Would you set your alarm? Would you make an appointment with God to pray for someone? Who is that person? Can you close your eyes right now? Close your eyes for a second. Who's the person you're going to pray for this week? Who is it? Keep your eyes closed. Who is it? Don't say their name. Who is it? Open your eyes. Who came to your mind? What was the image you saw in your mind when I said those words? Who did God put there? 416. That's your appointment with God. Pray for that person. Keep your appointment. Don't call and cancel. It's not next week, it's this week. Okay, your appointments are this week. Sunday to Saturday. And maybe I'll think of a creative way to ask you next week how that all goes. <laughs> Alright? 
I want to pray for you. And uh, in your in your before I pray for you, and we go into communion. You have uh, in your bulletin the week of prayer handout for the church. Would you also remember to pray through those prayer requests this week? We're going to pray after church. I think we'll probably meet in the library and pray together. We're going to do that over here, 10:45. We'll pray together. Um, but take the sheet home. Pray for those ministries. Uh, we are not going to see God work unless we ask Him for it. I know that. We will not see Him work unless we ask for it. Let's pray, and then uh, um, we'll go into our time of communion. Father, I thank You for giving us this example of Moses, a, a merciful man of prayer, who I really believe passed the test the intercessor test, the I'll pray for people test. I pray that we could pass the test too for our friends, for our loved ones, for our enemies, whoever you bring to mind, for that young lady at districts, that you would reach down and change her heart, that she'd see her identity through your eyes instead of what Google tells her about herself. Oh God, come against the identity that comes from this culture and this world and replace it with the new creation in Christ. I pray that over him. And I know I'll probably never know how that all turns out unless I see her in heaven with you. Help us be faithful and lift people up before the throne of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.